2: To start planning your trip, visit TNVacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we are talking about bacterial vaginosis. I realize at this point, people might be putting their fingers in their ears, which would require them taking their earbuds out of their ears because (laughs) bacterial vaginosis doesn't sound like the funnest topic in the world, but it is
0: something that women need to know about. Right, Caroline? Right. It's a very, very common condition and it's actually vaginitis in general is sort of an umbrella term for a lot of common conditions that women experience. But let's break it down for you now. So what is bacterial vaginosis? It's when the normal balance of bacteria in the vagina get disrupted and replaced by an overgrowth of certain other kinds of bacteria. And this is sometimes accompanied by discharge, odor, pain, itching, and burning. And when you say that it's
2: common, Caroline, it is, in fact, the most common vaginal infection in women of child-bearing age. Older female listeners... You hit menopause, high five, you <laughs> are out of the risk of BV. But um, for women of childbearing age, it is very much uh, something that happens to the vagina. But even though doctors have known about BV since 1955, when it was first identified, there's still a lot of mystery about its etiology and how it comes about, but they know that it's associated with the decrease in lactobacilli in the vagina and the subsequent overgrowth of anaerobic polymicrobials, at which point I'm sure everyone's like, oh,
0: yeah, oh, that makes so much sense. It's those darn polymicrobials again.
2: <laughs> well, what we're saying is in lay terms, it's an increase in the pH in the vagina. This also happens that the pH will change naturally in the vagina every month whenever your menstrual cycle comes around, mm-hmm. things go up and down. That's why we talk a lot about uh, the... The ecosystem of Mm -hmm. the vagina, that bacterial balance, because it's not so hard for things to get a little bit out of whack.
0: Yeah, it's like having your very own terrarium. Yes. So you might be worried about what is a risk factor and what is not. Certain things do increase your risk, such as having a new sex partner or multiple sex partners. And as we will get into and as we have talked about before with a stern finger wagging, Don't douche. Douching, yes. Down with the douche. But something that doesn't increase your risk that you don't have to worry about, toilet seats. I know we have a lot of very toilet seat phobic listeners out there, but also bedding and swimming pools. So feel free to jump in that swimming pool this summer. And here is yet another
2: part where you might want to prepare yourself (laughs) for A little bit of unpleasantness coming into your ears. And that is the signs and symptoms of BV, which include abnormal white or grayish discharge. And the hallmark symptom, a
0: strong fish-like odor. Yeah, and that might, I mean, you might feel like, oh, gosh, I should douche if it smells weird. No, if it smells weird, you should go to your doctor. Yes,
2: and we'll get more into vaginal odors. I know you can't wait. Uh, You can't wait. But we'll get more into vaginal odors because vaginas have a smell. Yeah. As do penises.
0: Sure. And testicles. Sure.
2: But this is a particular smell. That is a sign that something is off in your (laughs) underpants terrarium.
0: (laughs) Yes, we need to make a T-shirt.
2: But if you are pregnant or undergoing a hysterectomy or an abortion, BV is something that you definitely want to be aware of. You might want to get screened for it, in fact. And not to sound too alarmist, but BV also increases a woman's susceptibility to HIV and sexually transmitted diseases and increases the chances that an HIV-infected woman can pass that HIV along to her partner. So you definitely want to be on the lookout for this. The treatment for it is pretty straightforward. It's antibiotics. um, And you want to make sure, as always with antibiotics, that you finish your dose. If you're like, oh, hey, That fish odor has gone. I've got a few pills left, but I don't need those. No, you want to finish it because you want to lower that risk of recurrent BV, which can happen. Mm -hmm. But if you take the antibiotics, you are helping to ward it off for longer. And other ways that you can lower that risk is keeping the bacteria balanced by washing your vagina and your anus with soap every day. Wiping from front to back and keeping the area cool. I feel like there's a, a song in there. About wiping from front to back. (laughs) And keep the area cool. There you go. That's a a vagina jingle. (laughs) And again, don't douche. Should we talk about douching? Why you shouldn't douche? Let's talk about it. Yeah. We've talked about it in one of my favorite episodes of Stuff Mom Never Told You. Down with the Douche. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason why you don't want to douche, among many others, is that it removes the normal bacteria from the vagina. And in removing... That bacteria, you can disrupt that ecosystem, and those harmful bacteria can come in and then lead to BV. And you also want to have regular pelvic exams as well. So you have an expert, you know, a doctor, nurse practitioner, helping you keep everything in check.
0: So an American Journal of Epidemiology study in July 2008 looked at douching practices among women. And which came first? You know, they said that douching is practiced more often by women who had BV, but it's a chicken and the egg. Which came first? Does the douching cause the BV, or does the BV lead women to douche? They adjusted for women who douched in response to BV symptoms and found a significant 21% increase in the risk of BV for participants who did, in fact, douche. They also found that the odds of BV reduced 77% when these women stopped douching. Yeah, therefore, douching has been established as an independent risk, factor for
2: bacterial vaginosis. So, you know, the reason why some women still douche is that they think it's something good for their vaginas. In fact, it is not. It is just the opposite of that. Correct. You're increasing your risk for a bacterial infection. So, now that we've given you a, a clinical overview of what BV is, let's take a quick break, Caroline, and when we come back, we'll get into some more details about certain risk factors and other ways to
0: So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
1: Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure.
2: To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. So we're back, and the next question to tackle with bv is whether or not it is a sexually transmitted disease because it's associated with sex partners like you said caroline one of the risk factors for developing bv is new sex partners having multiple sex partners uh, not using condoms, stuff like that so if it's associated with sex does that make
0: bv an std well, yes and no. It, it can be sexually transmitted, but it's not necessarily the same kind of STD or STI that we think of when we typically think of one. So there was a 2001 study in the journal Sexually Transmitted Infections. It's a pretty, uh, upfront title of a, of a journal. They looked at nearly 9,000 women under the age of 45 and found that the BV prevalence was 12.9 Percent And they found in looking at these women that risk factors included some that were in common with contracting gonorrhea and chlamydia. Those included having more than one sexual partner in the past three months, having a history of bacterial sexually transmitted infections, and being of black or Caribbean ethnicity and living in a deprived area. But bacterial vaginosis did have a contrasting age profile and was most prevalent among women over 30, in fact.
2: Yeah, this has been a a puzzle for medical researchers because when B.V. was first described in 1955 by a pair of doctors, they classified it. As a sexually transmitted infection, because they isolated um, a certain type of bacteria, which was found not only in the female patients but also in the male contacts, as they were called, of those female cases. So they assumed, oh well, this you know there's a common bacteria between these men and women who are having sex. Therefore, this must be an STI. But it is now known that that type of bacteria occurs in up to 50% of women without BV as well. You can have never had sexual intercourse before and still develop BV.
0: Right, yeah, so there must be other factors other than sexual activity that are important in developing that condition. So, yeah, while other uh, activities than sexual activity can be important in the development of the condition, it it can, in fact, be spread by sexual partners. Uh, It can be spread between female sex partners whereas male partners generally don't need to be treated. Yeah, in fact, lesbian couples might
2: be at a greater risk of uh, passing BV back and forth because that bacteria might be in one vagina and then uh, to another vagina with the contact, and then you have it going back and forth. And there have been studies finding higher rates of BV among lesbian couples. So that's something to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, I mean, now that we have possibly uh, given you some things to worry about, um, just keep in mind, really, that if your normal vaginal scent, because like we said, everybody has a normal smell, but if your normal vaginal scent changes, if it suddenly becomes much stronger or seems foul, you should definitely get it checked out. And you should not leave it untreated because it can recur.
2: Yeah, a lot of times um, the the change in scent is caused by something like BV, chlamydia, gonorrhea, pelvic inflammatory disease, poor hygiene. It might be a forgotten tampon. That does happen. Uh, Trichomoniasis, which is the most common type of STI, or a yeast infection. But I do want to underscore, though, that vaginas have a normal scent right if someone if you have a sex partner who is simply shaming you for your genitals having a scent then that issue is with that sex partner not with your vagina or whatever you might have
0: right but i mean having having bv having odor issues It actually can have quite a toll on people. There was this uh, study in the Journal of American Academy of Nurse Practitioners in February 2010 that found that recurrent BV is associated with psychosocial issues not addressed during a typical office visit. Women who frequently experience these, uh, you know, the strong vaginal odor and they don't take care of it and maybe they're just douching to cover it up, they reported feelings of shame and embarrassment that often caused them to engage in these hypervigilant hygiene routines that negatively affect their relationships, both professional and personal.
2: Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense that, uh, A, someone might not go get BV checked out right away because a lot of times when it manifests, there aren't any outward symptoms. Mm-hmm. And you might think, oh, well, if it if it recurred, a lot of time the a lot of times the odor will arise after intercourse. And so you might think, oh, well, maybe it has to do with semen or simply the sweat that can happen when two bodies are all rubbing up against each other or, you know, plenty of other things. And there can be a certain amount of shame that can come along with that saying, like, well, I don't really want to have to go talk to a stranger about my vagina. But, again, you know, that's what doctors and nurses, nurse practitioners are Therefore, you know, if you have an issue, go take care of it.
0: Yeah. And so this study really urged proper education, advice and support because bacterial vaginosis is perpetuated by lifestyle practices that lead to recurrent infection. I mean, if you're ashamed and you don't know who to talk to or what it is and how to deal with it, that a lot of people experience it, you know, you might never seek treatment and it just you keep getting it and it keeps getting worse. Yeah, and that education factor
2: is one of the main reasons why we wanted to do, uh, this episode on a maybe not so delightful topic to talk about because, uh, you know, I'm 28 and only recently found out about BV, even though it is the most common form of vaginal infection in women. And when we were looking up sources on this, I feel like you, you have to know what it is. In order to find good information, mm-hmm. you know, there, it's not like it's something that, in the same way that we might think of a yeast infection or uh, an STD like herpes or chlamydia, oh, we we would know just inherently to go like look for that and look for those risk factors. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that women are as uh, aware of BV as maybe they should be. So yeah. I hope that hope that maybe this helps because it could be alarming if you don't know what's going on and all of a sudden there's a change. Mm-hmm down there, then you might think that something is wrong with you and just be embarrassed. Whereas, oh, you know what? It's a pH shift. There's some bacteria. Get some antibiotics done. Mm -hmm. So I hope this was helpful. Yeah. And one final takeaway tip, though, that we found from Go Ask Alice that we reference all the time from Columbia University. Bubble bath fans. You might want to beware how much soap you're putting in those bubble baths because heavily perfumed or dyed soaps can also irritate the vagina. Yeah, they
0: recommended maybe taking a shower and soaping up first and then taking a soapless soak in a very clean tub. It makes me wonder if we should do an episode on bidets. Oh, man, that makes me think of Crocodile Dundee. (laughs) Well, on that
2: note... (laughs)
0: Let us know
2: your thoughts. Write to us, momstuff at discovery dot com about bacterial vaginosis, bubble baths, bidets, crocodile dundee. Any of it. Whatever your heart desires. Momstuff at discovery dot com or you can also hit us up on Facebook and tweet us at Momstuff Podcast. But right quick, we've got a couple of
0: emails to share with
2: you right now.
0: Okay, I have a message here from Robin about our school uniforms episode. She said, I just wanted to drop in and say that I was one of those kids that desperately wanted uniforms when I was in school. I was a really overweight kid with terrible self-esteem, so picking clothes in the morning was torture for me. I was so angry that my high school adopted them the years after I graduated. But now I work as a co-teacher, a fancy way of saying teacher assistant, at an elementary school, and I still think there should be uniforms. But for the staff. You wouldn't believe how unprofessional looking teachers can be if given the chance. Uniforms would not only make us look better, but help us feel like more a team. Similar reasoning to what's given about students. Teachers can be as disjointed and spiteful to each other as the kids, honestly. I mean, if other workplaces have uniforms for staff, is it such a huge stretch? I don't think it is. So thanks, Robin.
2: Well, i got one here from Tara, also about dress codes outside of secondary school. So she writes, I never had any problems with dress codes until college, and now I've had my fair share of difficulties. I'm currently in my last semester of nursing school, and being in a professional program, I understand that a stricter dress code sets it apart, but the dress code is meant to promote cleanliness and professionalism. I got written up for wearing a headband in the clinical setting. My instructor's reasonings were that it's against dress code, and that an angry patient could strangle me with yeah. it. Being very diligent, I reread the student handbook and found no mention of the illicitness of headbands. So my mistake. I wore another headband, making sure it was more discreet and not enclosed. Well, it turns out I had disrespected her authority, which was not my intention at all, and I got dragged into multiple interrogations and had the event recorded in my file. Meanwhile, the woman who had primary red hair didn't have any problems with anyone, even though unnatural hair colors were, in fact forbidden. So my takeaway was that I feel that some of the difficulty with dress codes in high school or college is that there is so much subjectivity involved. One instructor may have no issue with what you wear, being more lenient, while another could overreact so good luck to Tara for the rest of her <laughs> nursing school I guess just don't wear those headbands Tara I think yeah. that's the takeaway try barrettes try bobby pins there we go got a podcast but don't on lose them. them in a patient no so again if you want to write to us momstuff at discovery.com is our email address you can send us a message on Facebook like us there while you're at it also follow us on Twitter podcast and on Tumblr as well it's stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. tumblr dot com and if you want to know how vaginas work, you can read that very article by Ms. Molly Edmonds at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring WORK.